Their father Ephraim mourned many days, and his relatives came to comfort him. Now that's a mouthful of names. Those are trying to figure out what in the world is going on here. What happened? Well, the men of Gath are mentioned, okay? They, this is a map of Israel. It's actually Israel later on after they're divided. But it shows the big, powerful cities of the Philistine, one of which is Gath, right there. And that's where these men that are mentioned here were from. What's interesting, it sounds like they are originally from Egypt area, which is over here on the wall. I don't know if you all can see the red dot. Egypt, where the Israelites, in the time of Ephraim, the Israelites lived. Remember that? Joseph became second ruler in Egypt, if we could put it that way, and brought Israel and all his brothers down to Egypt, and they grew and multiplied back there in Egypt. Ephraim and Manasseh are sons of Joseph, and they were born in Egypt. Ephraim has a family. He has a bunch of sons and grandsons. And it sounds like the men of Gath from this big fortified city, by the way, uh, you know I love archaeology. They're digging up Gath right now, and they're saying, man, the walls are huge. This, this is where Goliath is from later. Later on down the line from Ephraim. So I don't know if they were giants at that time, but they came down, and it it's hard, it sounds like at first that just um, Ezar and where was he going? And Eliad, that they were the only ones that were killed. But I'm thinking that many of, maybe all of those sons and grandsons there mentioned of Ephraim were killed. That's kind of what it sounds like. Not just those two. And that, that would make more sense that Ephraim was why he mourned many days because he had his family wiped out. Because uh, these guys from Gath who had originally been from Egypt, so they knew what Egypt was like. They came down and killed Ephraim's son. He mourned many days. Now, as I said, Ephraim is the son of Joseph. Joseph was the second most powerful man in Egypt. And, and yet, that position, being the son of the second most powerful man in Egypt, did not provide protection from personal loss of his sons and grandsons. When the men of Gath raised the land, did not provide protection. So, what is one of the hard truths, probably, that Ephraim had to face? Remember, these are real people. I know a lot of people think these accounts in the Bible are false and much fiction and myth. But if we look at it as real people, these are real people, and that's the way we should look at it. They face hard truths, and it's the same hard truth that you and I face. That we cannot, well, there, there's the fact that uh, his position did not provide protection from personal loss. But the, here's the hard truth. We cannot control the gut-wrenching misfortune and the gut-wrenching heartaches that invade life at times. Correct? One reason we can't control them is they drop in unexpectedly. And they're unavoidable. And they can't be ignored. Which is the case here with Ezra. So what can we do when they drop in like that? What can we do when misfortunes and heartaches drop in? It's kind of a, it's very coincidental that I'm speaking on this when we started a, a class on Sunday morning 
regarding adversity, which I want to talk to you about, Danny, because you're fascinated and interested in joining us on that. Adversity, dealing with adversity. And as, as we found out this morning, it's a huge topic. It's very broad. And there's some answers we're not going to find, right, in the Bible. But we can get some broad general principles. Well, what can we do when heartaches and misfortunes drop in on us unexpectedly? Here's what we can do. Prepare ourselves for the storms of life that may come. Prepare ourselves. And you might say, well, man, that's pretty general. How do we do that? We do that by anchoring our hope firmly in a particular foundation. And who would that be, brethren? Jesus Christ. That's right. The foundation of Christ. And why do you want to anchor your hope in Christ? Because you never know when the winds and the waves of sorrow may assault us. Think, think about, uh, anybody here a meteorologist? No, but they spend a lot of time tracking storms, don't they? And they'll track hurricanes from way, way out there in the, in the Atlantic. And hurricanes coming up, even in the Pacific, they call them typhoons. But let's, let's note Atlantic hurricanes. They're pretty slow moving. But you can track them, you can track the movements. You know, the one that hit home to us, especially Kelly and I, last September was when Evan and some of his friends, my niece Hannah, they were down in Tampa area, and what's her name? Was it Irma? Hurricane Irma was making her way slowly across those islands and then heading towards Florida. And so there's a little bit of consternation there, concern about any time anybody's in the path of a hurricane, but they're slow moving. They're slow moving storms. So let's apply that to life. Sometimes we have problems like that that we can see coming from afar. And they're usually problems that are a result of our choices, right? Choices and consequences. And it's usually not us who are attracting them. It's usually others who see, hey, you've got, you've got, the choices you're making are leading to some problems that are coming right down your path. And we're like this, I don't see it. And others are warning us about it. Then there's other problems and heartaches and trials and hardship that hit us like this thing. This is a picture of a what? tornado, which meteorologists generally can tell the ones that ruin, but boy, when they strike, they don't give you any warning, do they? Just boom. They strike and they create all sorts of havoc and destruction. That's, that's why many of our problems are more closely analogous to is a tornado. You probably read this passage, perhaps, Matthew 27, 24, through 25, and I quote, Jesus speaking here, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. Now I realize that usually this passage of scripture is associated with the damnation of Bible authority and the emphasis of obedience. And I, I don't have a problem with that. But lately I've been looking at this as a beautiful picture of faith.
in, in a prayer that's associated with this verse, these two verses. Something like this. Lord, I choose and I desire to display my trust in you by modeling my behavior, including my speech, my entire life after years, Lord Jesus. Make me your servant. Do we have a song entitled that? Make me your servant. I am yours, and I trust your promises to lead me through this. Through what? Well, look at that verse. The floods and the rain and the winds that blew and beat against the house. It's the same thing that we've been finding in Joshua, who, by the way, is a descendant of Ephraim. He was an Ephraimite. And what was one of the promises that Jehovah God and Moses, instruction, I guess we could say, to Joshua? Take courage, be strong, don't give up. I will fight for you. That's God's promise. Now, that, is that only a takeaway for Joshua, or is there anything we can take home from that? The promises of God. Remember that? We had, from Joshua, we learned about God's promises, and I'm not talking exclusively about the ones to be enjoyed in the afterlife. I'm talking about the promises we can enjoy in Christ. We often call them blessings, associated with blessings, in Christ, right now. For some of us, I'm afraid, don't seek and don't look for and perhaps are not thankful for And we've got the power of God available to us right now, which I'm afraid that many, many of us do not tap into like we could or should. And then there's the possession, God's possession, the inheritance. In their case, Joshua's case, it was that land was one of them. One of the promises, land promise. With us, not land so much, but there's a lot of gifts that the commander Jesus has given to the church. The ultimate gift, of course, that eternal, wonderful afterlife, living eternally with him. But think about now. Do we have an inheritance now? We are his inheritance. If you are sons of God in his household, you are his inheritance. Do you appreciate that? <coughs> And then we've got his presence. Because we are in his household, we always have his presence with us. Which is why we cry out to him and turn to him when we are hit with hardships and misfortunes and difficulties. And there's all sorts of words that describe that. Ephraim mourned many days and his relatives came to comfort him. Do you think he cried out at any time? Like Job may have, I am overwhelmed with troubles. I am overwhelmed with troubles. Here, here we've got images of people. These over here, they may be overwhelmed with grief over a death of a loved one. Maybe that's the case here, or maybe she's found out that she has cancer and her friends are comforting her. This guy may have wrecked his vintage Mustang. crying over that. Uh, a lot of different things that we human beings cry over, right? And, and, but some are more serious and uh, are more important than a vintage mustache. 
that a few minutes today when the, the fellow that did some speaking man, made a great point about this right here. When the world, unbelievers especially, look at how there's so much suffering in the world and so much hatred and anger between human beings and, and groups like ISIS going around murdering people and, and gangs even in this nation, our country, our culture going around and killing people and individual murderers, murderers not seem to have any regard for life and going into schools and shooting up people and they ask, why in the world, how in the world are all these things happening? And often people in general will focus on one attribute of God and that's it. For example, his power. And they reason, God must be abusing his power or he's not using his power. Why doesn't he stop all these bad things that are happening? They're just focusing on his power. Or, or they focus on his just his justice alone. And they use the approach that many ancient peoples used, right? When they had pestilence or uh, their crops were wiped out. They had pestilence and disease. And they attribute that to their God being angry with us. And he's, he's throwing down his justice upon us because we must have made him mad in some way. And so to appease their gods, eventually over time they get to, well, most we read about in the Bible, they offer human sacrifices, right, to appease their God. So even today we have people kind of with a, a twisted viewpoint of God because we're only looking at one or two of his attributes. And they're asking, why, why can't we live in a world that's peaceful and where men and women and humanity are getting along and having fellowship with God? And you know what one answer to that is, folks? We had that. It was called the garden. Paradise Garden of God. And two people dwelt with God in fellowship. And he walked, he walked together with them. And they had peace together until what Pride gets in the way, doesn't it? An elevating self to where they choose not to remain in holiness with God. And there's that sin factor that comes in. Sin and transgression separating us from God. You know, sometimes we talk about the fingerprint of God on the universe, and we're talking about his power and his creation. Think about the fingerprint of humanity on the world. It's humanity's fingerprint that is on the world that is causing all these problems and suffering. Hence the phrase, a fallen world. It truly is a fallen world. It is mankind's fingerprint. So don't go pointing the finger at God. It's mankind's fingerprint that's caused all these things that we've listed. Misfortune, hardship, heartache, trouble, to where even innocent people, including children, suffer because of the choices of others. That, you can say that's the risk God took by creating us with a free will and the ability to choose. And we chose, we chose a path that brings all these things at once. So don't go blaming God for, the, for these things. Does that make sense? And the other attribute, not only power and justice, what's the third attribute that we often forget about? 
displayed right from the beginning. And he displays it. Are you with me? Let's go to Psalm 88. Back to Psalm 88. It's right there in verse 1. O Lord, the God of my salvation. I have cried out by day and in the night before. There it is, that first phrase. God of my salvation. God is not only just God and a powerful God. We also need to look at the attribute of God being a gracious God. God is a God of grace. Amen. And loving kindness and mercy. Let's read up all of verses 2 and 3. Let my prayer come before you. Incline my ear to, your, to my cry. For my soul has had enough troubles. That, that's our title today. Had enough troubles. And my life has drawn near to Sheol. When is it, brethren, that we stand on the precipice of understanding and humility, where we begin to understand things and begin to be humble enough to submit our will to Him. When is it that we stand on this cliff face and begin to embrace understanding and humility, wisdom and humility? Well, sometimes it's when the trials of life loom larger than our endurance. Have you ever been there? You've got, you've got something... Uh, some kind of hardship, you're battling something, whatever it is, with people or physical ailment, and it seems to drag on and on, and then it slows down, seems to go away, and a month later it comes back. Some nagging problem, whether it's with people or health, whatever it is. And your endurance is how thin. Can't even see how thin it is, because with some of it, it gets thin, right? And we're about to break. Or, it's when our own efforts to sustain ourselves have failed. That's when we're on the precipice, the edge of understanding. And what was that other aspect? Humility. Thank you. It's when our own efforts to sustain ourselves have failed. This is where we're trying to do it all on our own, isn't it? Basically. And not reaching out to rely on Jesus. Or it's when our comforts have dissipated and dwindled. All our, all our comfort, our homes, our cars, our toys, everything that makes us comfortable, food, drink, friends, when those tend to diminish and disappear, then we begin to think about where are we standing? Why do these things happen? And what am I to learn from them? Look at verse 9 of Psalm 88. I have called upon you every day, O Lord. This, this Psalm 88 is a dark psalm. It's heavy. It's, it's from the sons of Korah, particularly a demon, the Ezraites. But it, it's dark. It doesn't have any uplifting ending to it. But there's some snippets of light, and here's one of them. I called upon you every day, Lord. And then you drop down to 13. But I, O oh Lord, have cried out to you for help. What does 1 Thessalonians 5.17 say? It's a long verse. I don't know if we have time to read it today. <laughs> Pray without ceasing. That's it. Pray 
ceasing. Brother, church, when we don't learn to do that, to pray without ceasing, then we're placed in a position where prayer is the only option left. <laughs> and when we turn to it as a last resort, it's only then when we learn that prayer should be the first option, right? That's what we're saying here. Not the last resort. Why do trials teach us the power of prayer? Because only prayer worked. But we need to flip this around, not make it the last resort. When we understand, yeah, it was prayer that worked, then we begin to build better habits, namely to draw near to the Father and communicate with Him more consistently and more frequently. And then we can quote that verse and say, I'm doing it. I'm praying without ceasing. Of course, we're going to have our hiccups. But we always need to have that attitude. Not to turn to it as the last resort, but make it a part of our life. And I know some of you do. And it's awesome to see. What, what do seasoned, mature children of God have to say about this whole subject? Well, usually wise people don't spout out from their own wisdom, their own thoughts. They usually quote scripture, don't they? And what comes to mind is Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. You know, folks, back here when we, when we get to these three things here, it's only then when we recognize our insignificance and our smallness in the world, isn't it? We begin thinking, wow, I need to rely on somebody other than myself. You know, our brother Kyle is not here today. But he just recently underwent surgery where they took away most of his forehead. That we had a cancer spot on his forehead. And I saw a picture, he showed me a picture of it. He said, are you queasy? I said, no. And then I looked at his picture. It was after he, after they took that cancer, it's a rare cancer. And they took it right off his forehead. You could see the muscle there. It's before they did the skin graft. And then he showed me a picture of the skin graft. And, you know, this, this was a, over a period of a week. They jumped on it right away. And thank God it's apparently not spreading anywhere else. And that's a Thanksgiving thing, right? But uh, a friend of Kyle asked him, he said, Kyle, is the Lord telling you anything in this? We would say, is the Lord allowing us to learn anything from this? And Kyle said, yeah. I knew right away what the Lord's trying to tell me through this experience. And he said, I need to be what other people are doing for me in this circumstance. Serving me, coming and calling on me, visiting me, praying for me. He said, uh, I've lived and gone through life, and I haven't done a lot of that. And so right, right there, Kyle impressed us of understanding 
Ellie said the same thing when she had to go back in the hospital the second time. Got that nice new hip, everything's healing up, except that one little half inch and staff gets in there and boom, a setback. After after six, seven glorious weeks of no problems, and then the setback. And Kelly says she's lying in that hospital bed, feeling miserable for herself. <laughs> but realizing, you know, as Joyce always says, there's a reason somewhere, somehow. And, and it made Kelly think from inward to outward. That especially the idea that there are people who are suffering worse than I am. Right? There are people in situations that are worse than I'm experiencing. In other words, Kelly could have said what the Psalms is saying. Uh, my soul has had enough trouble. And Kyle could say, say the same thing. And some of you, my soul has had enough trouble. And I don't think it's wrong for us as humans to pour our hearts out like that. But then, as Kelly's been trying to do, consider the troubles of others. There's always someone else dealing with something much worse. And this is where we begin to grasp humility and understanding. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition and thanksgiving, present your request to God. We have a, you know, a homeschooling mom in this area who, who, in an unarrogant, unpretentious way, she's not arrogant at all. She lives, breathes, and eats our Savior Jesus Christ. You can tell in a conversation with her, you're not talking about hockey or golf or basketball, you're talking about the Lord most of the time. She was expressing to Kelly the other day that she's suffering with Crohn's disease. And, uh, you know, that's... Kramer? You know David, and he, he suffered with that for a long time. This, this woman suffered the same thing. And it's, it's like this, it's ups and downs. And this woman said, you know, there's times when I'm really suffering. First thing I do, number one, press into the word. I thought that was that's an incredible way to put it. Press into the word. My mom's used similar expressions, but this one's really heavy. Press into the word. I'll explain that to you afterwards. Number two, she says, I ask the Lord to show me and help me how I can use this stuff. But what she means is in serving others. Now that's a wow thing to me. Press into the word, how can I use this suffering to bring honor to you, to serve others? Basically what she said. Kind of heavy, huh? So she prayed. She says, I pray that. Lord, show me how to use it. No matter how busy we get, folks, we should take the apostles' advice in Acts 6, 4. They told the church there that they were going to devote themselves to prayer. Can we do that? Devote ourselves to prayer. So this morning we've learned a little bit from Ephraim who faced some hard realities. We've learned a bit from the psalmist who said, boy, I've had enough troubles. And many of you can say, you know, I've had enough trouble. The thing is, don't point the finger at God. Don't blame him. But ask yourself, how can I use these 